It is fantastic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Overtime Podcast presented by the Cold Front Report. I'm one of two co-hosts, Clayton Garrett. You can find me on Twitter at CFR Clayton. And join me as always, Jeff Uvino. You can find me on Twitter at RealJUvino. Now, before we get into this week's game recap, there's a subject matter that we kind of missed with last week's pod as, I mean, it wasn't really a talking point until middle of the week when the pod was releasing, let alone being recorded. So the Patriots had released wide receiver Josh Gordon after acquiring wide receiver Mohamed Sanu for a 2020 second round pick from the Falcons, while also reactivating Nikhil Harry onto the active roster. While he didn't play this week, he's still in the right direction to be to, to playing his first professional football game. So as a result, they released Josh Gordon. And the Bills were 24th in the waiver claim. They passed up on Josh Gordon, and he got claimed by the Seattle Seahawks, who were 27th in the order, or 28th, rather, I'm sorry. And the Bills really had an opportunity there. Now, before I give my thoughts, Jeff, what were your thoughts on the Bills passing up on a potential playmaker for this offense? Now, I know you feel really strongly about this, but I don't mind it at all. I see that as McDermott sticking to his guns. If Josh Gordon isn't the type of player that McDermott wants to bring in, then I'm happy he didn't bring him in. Now, you can talk about the you know culture problem or character problem or whatever. We know Josh Gordon's troubles have been documented well in the past, but that's offset by, oh, the Patriots signed him. So, you know, maybe he, if the Patriots could straighten him out. But I think the history repeats itself. And I think that whatever reason the Patriots felt that Josh Gordon shouldn't be on their team, I think that would happen to the Bills too. And it looks good on paper to pick up a quality football player in a position that you really need him. I just think that McDermott and the rest of the staff just felt that Gordon wasn't the type of player they wanted to bring in. And so I respect them for sticking to their guns and doing that, despite there probably being pressure on them to, you know, make a move like that. See, what's really troubling for me with this, just opting to not pick the, pick up the player off the waiver wire is, okay, I understand. We, we talked for weeks leading up to the trade deadline of how I personally felt that they should make a move for a receiver. And I think eventually you, you came to the agreement that you, you thought that you would be open to that potential for that potentially being an option for this team. Mm-hmm. Now, here you are I th- just a week after the trade deadline and a player of Josh Gordon's caliber becomes available. I understand not trading assets or, or draft capital. I understand not trading anything to acquire an offensive player. That's perfectly understandable. But Josh Gordon costs a million dollars. You had him. If you wanted him, you could have had him. I don't understand why you don't pick up Josh Gordon when your offense, your passing offense lacks potency, it lacks consistency, and it lacks just that playmaker, that, that, that playmaker that sets them apart. And yes, Cole Beasley's had a great three games. Well, I, I, you can't even call it a great three games, but he scored touchdowns in the last three games. But he's only the, – the most receptions he's had in a game in those three games is three. Cole Beasley is just – he's underutilized in this offense because he's not, he's not being put in a position to succeed because there's no one on the opposite boundary from John Brown that a defense truly has to respect. That's really where my point comes in is I would take Josh Gordon over every receiver in this Bills receiver room outside of John Brown and Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley is a a completely different player with a completely different skill set 
And I'm, I'm not going to say I take Josh Gordon over John Brown right now, considering John Brown is doing things that no Bills receiver has done since ni- the 1980s, quite literally the 1980s. So what I'm getting at is you had an opportunity to completely change the dynamic of the Bills offense for free. No assets, no draft picks, no players in exchange, virtually for free. All it costs you is a million dollars. I struggle with trying to find a reason as to why not you don't add a player like Josh Gordon. Well, what I wonder when I'm looking at this is who McDermott or who Brandon Bean consulted with about this. Maybe he went right into the room and asked Josh Allen, should we pick this guy up? Now, obviously, that's a lot of trust or a lot of you know power to give your young quarterback but they very well could have done this and Allen said no I don't want him on the team or um offensive coordinator could have said that or the anybody really and I wonder why the other 27 teams passed on him as well you know obviously not all of those teams are looking for a receiver but there had to be a reason that all of these teams passed and like I said it didn't work out for him on the Browns didn't work out for him on the Patriots So that makes me wonder why it would work out on the Bills. Because it's not like the Bills have the greatest – I mean, we talk about culture a lot. It's not like the Bills organization is known for turning guys around and making them superstars. I think it's the opposite of that, if anything. So I trust the coaching staff more than I trust my instinct of saying, oh, they should have gotten this guy because they need a receiver, which they do. We've we've established that in the past. So I don't don't mind it. Now you bring up an interesting point of there being a lot of speculation as to why Josh Gordon was released in the first place, why 27 other teams passed up on him, because there's been reports saying that he wanted a quote-unquote legitimate quarterback. There's been reports saying that his injury was 110% real when he was placed on IR with the Patriots, or that it was a fluke injury. There's been all sorts of speculation on the matter that makes it kind of hairy, which I feel that inevitably that was probably why the Bills opted to not pick up Josh Gordon, because – of the uncertainty. uncertainty of what was going on with the situation. It's not like the Bills are going to have plugs with the New England Patriots and the Patriots are going to feed them information as to how good this player is, what his problem really was. No, they're not. that's not going to happen. But as far as a culture standpoint is concerned, I really didn't understand. I, I, I don't agree with that argument if, if anybody would like to make it. I don't because it was just a couple months ago that the Bills were trying to trade for Antonio Brown that they were about to make a move for Antonio Brown. And we saw how his situation fizzled out with the Raiders. We saw how it fizzled out with the Patriots. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy it was a culture thing because say what you will, it's completely different subject matter and a discussion of its own, but Josh Gordon's never really done anything of of true crime in my, in my opinion, all he's done in his career is smoke weed really all that this dude's done. And yes, it's cost him years of his career, but we've seen players as recently, I mean, Chris Long, a recently retired defensive end that played in the NFL for a decade. You've heard, you've seen Percy Harvin come out about it. These players, a lot of them do do it behind the scenes. Not a lot of them get caught, but the ones that do, you see it. You see a situation like Josh Gordon. I don't think that Josh Gordon would have negatively impacted the locker room. And if he had, then why, what's the problem in taking a flyer on him? Cause he costs a million dollars. You have a great young nucleus in the locker room. Maybe they didn't want to disrupt that. But I don't think Josh Gordon is so disruptive to the point where the three years of acquisitions in the free, in free agency, the three years of draft picks, where one player is going to be so much of a quote-unquote cancer that it disrupts all of the positive moves that this team has made. 
maybe they had a change of heart as far as from the Antonio Brown situation to the Josh Gordon situation. And I think if injury was a problem, then maybe their motives was we don't want to bring a guy who might be hurt in just like they passed up on AJ Green or not passed up, but they chose not to pursue AJ Green, the same kind of thing where he might have been injured. So if injury is the thing, then I guess it makes sense. But maybe they just had a change of heart as far as, you know, bringing up Antonio Brown's a good point. I think maybe they could have just changed their mind, could be very likely. Or if they if they didn't change their mind, then I guess that really makes us wonder. But I trust, like I said, I trust that there's a good reason why the Bills didn't pursue Josh Gordon. I trust that they know something that we don't know, whether it's numbers. I don't know how it could be numbers, but there's always numbers. Or whether it's, you know, the intuition of the people in charge or whatever. You know, I'm not that upset about it because – I just obviously the offense needs to improve, but I don't think Josh Gordon's the answer. Like if you just ask me straight up, is Josh Gordon the answer? I guess no question to improving the offense. I would say no. I just think it's because of the type of player he is. Obviously he's a good talent, but I'm just not emotionally invested in the fact that he could make the Bills offense that much better to take the chance. I, I can't help but disagree with that because in my eyes, Josh Gordon would be the most talented wide receiver to play for the Buffalo Bills since Sammy Watkins was traded. Now, that's not an incredible feat by any means when you're considering the likes of Jordan Matthews, Kelvin Benjamin, Andre Holmes, Zay Jones. The list goes on and on. It's not an incredible feat by any means, but it's still, it's still substantial, and it's still a point to be made. Say what you will about John Brown and his production this season. Say what you will about Josh Gordon and his previous problems, but I think it's a mistake that the Bills made, and I think – and you bring up why the potential whys and hows they didn't make this move. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Bills have been to every single uh, University of Oklahoma game this season. They've been scouting every single University of Oklahoma game this season. And OU has one of the best receivers in this draft class in CeeDee Lamb. And that could be the potential how and why. That honestly could be it. And I hope it is. Because this offense, I've been saying it for months. I've been saying it for months that this offense lacks potency. It lacks a playmaker. Yes, John Brown, while being efficient, he's not going to break a defense. And while, while Cole Beasley is a valuable addition to this offense, he can't truly be utilized unless there's someone on the opposite boundary that a defense has to respect. And I felt if you added Josh Gordon to this offense, that that would have added a level of talent that a defense would have to account for and respect that you don't currently have with the players you have playing that position, whether it be Duke Williams or Robert Foster, Isaiah McKenzie. It's just, it adds a different element to this offense that they don't have just yet. So it's time for our week nine game recap. The bills beat the Washington Redskins by a score of 24 to nine. It was a very efficient day for Josh Allen. He threw 14 for 20 and 160 yards and Devin Singletary, man. Devin Singletary had himself a day, 23 total touches. He only had 29 total touches coming into this game all season, weeks one through eight. He missed a couple games because of, because of a hamstring tweak, but he only had 29 touches in weeks one through eight. Now he comes into week nine against the Washington Redskins, who are 28th in the league coming into the game against the run, and he has 140 yards from scrimmage. Jeff, what were your overall thoughts on the Bills' victory over the Washington Redskins? Well, I thought it was a good bounce back win. Um, you know, that's what I wrote about my column last week that I felt the Bills just needed to have a bounce back win. There was nothing flashy about that game. It was cold and windy. The offense didn't play great, but the defense did. And I like Micah Hyde's comment about being tired of apologizing for winning games. Um, Micah Hyde said yesterday, quote, a win is a win. As long as we continue to win, I'm not too worried about the strength of schedule, any of that. We have a goal this year. It starts with 
each and every week with getting a win. And then he continued to say, you guys can continue to say that strength of schedule BS. It is what it is. That's exactly how I feel. And I've said it all year. I'm fine with the Bills winning games by whatever means necessary. Because in the NFL, any team can beat you on any week. Look at the Jets. They beat Dallas a few years back. A few, excuse me, a few weeks back. Then they lost to the Dolphins yesterday. You just never know what's going to happen. People need – it's early into the game recap to bring this point up. But, guys, at this point last year, the Bills were 2-6. and six. There, was no, there was no speaking of margin of victory. They had two victories to that point all season. Here they are with six wins. So we're really worried about how much they're beating opponents. They don't control who they play. They don't control their strength of schedule. They don't control the kind of parity that, that, that goes on throughout this league. They don't control that. All they can do is show up on Sundays, do their jobs, and win the games that they, that they should. That's really all they can do. I, I, I'm sick and tired of having, a, just like Micah Hyde said, it is BS. They shouldn't have to apologize for quote-unquote ugly wins. People need to level their expectations as well. I, I'm not sure what other people were expecting, but the Bills won yesterday given some of the consistent issues that we have seen throughout the season. This is why I, I was pretty close. I mean, I, I, I got to stop picking these scores pretty close or else I'm going to have a very dangerous gambling problem in my future. I said, I said 24-10 and they won 24-9. And what I thought was going to go on went on. Adrian Peterson had himself a half. I did not uh, – if you asked me at halftime enough, if I thought that the Bills were going to bottle them up in the second half the way they did, I would have told you absolutely not. But Adrian Peterson had himself a half. He had 100 yards rushing by halftime for the first time since 2012. He had a youthful day against the Bills' run defense in the first half. And the play calling was inconsistent here and there. Some people have far more issue with it than others. I, I didn't think it was all that bad yesterday as it has been. I thought it was inconsistent, certainly. But it is what it is. The Bills' offense did enough, as has been the theme that we've talked about all season. It's not a matter of, yes, yes, some of, the, some of these games, they have been quote-unquote ugly wins. But keyword wins. Ugly wins, it's still a win in the win column. The Bills didn't lose to the Washington Redskins. It doesn't matter how much they beat them by. I, I continue to bring up this point that in 2003 – when Tom Brady started week one and then started in the Super Bowl and they inevitably won the Super Bowl, they went 14-2 and two that season. You want to know their average win margin? Nine points. Nine points was their average, average win margin that year. That, that's barely two possessions. The Bills are currently averaging a win margin of eight and a half points. I'm, I'm completely content with the Bills winning games by close margins as long as they're winning games. Because these close wins, that's what separates good teams from bad teams. I'd much rather have the Bills sitting here at six and two, having three or four close victories, than sitting here at two and six with three or four close losses. Yeah, and they scored over twenty points. McDermott always says we feel if we scored twenty points, we can win football games. And the offense wasn't great the whole game. They had a good drive in the beginning of the game, and they had a good drive at the end to ice it. But offensively, they they scored they scored twenty four points. I'd be happy with twenty four points every single game for the rest of the year. I think that puts you in incredible position to succeed they didn't look like they could throw the ball down the field that well that's been a theme all year but they had a good go they had a good game plan excuse me running the ball and they did that over 30 times I believe 31 yeah so if you're going to win a football game by running the ball 31 times by all means do so if that's what's going to get you to win defensively obviously you don't want to give up a hundred yard rusher especially against a team that couldn't really throw the ball 
Um, Haskins did not impress me at all. I didn't think he really did anything. I, I know he doesn't have the best receivers. They had, they had a couple, like they ran a couple slants for first downs, or like screen for first downs. But other than that, I don't even remember a thing about Redskins did on offense yesterday. They didn't score a touchdown. And when your defense doesn't give up a touchdown in the whole game, you have to be happy with that effort. It was a good effort on the defensive side of the ball as usual. But as I alluded to earlier in my previous point, there was some inconsistencies with the play calling. This, the first series was – there was no griping about the play calling in the first series because it was solid. The offense executed, and as a result, they scored a touchdown, and they got to an early 7 to nothing lead. But in the second, their second possession, the Bills get – I believe it was a play to Dawson Knox that got them to the one-yard line. So it was, first, it was first and goal at the one, and you're sitting there at the one-yard line, and they start running very overly creative plays. They start running this, these very overcomplicated – concept I don't even call it a concept it was just they were getting too cute they got far too cute sitting at the one yard line and they ended up backed up almost to the 20 yard line by the time third and goal came around that really that that, that's what we're talking about when it comes to leaving points on the board because it seems that throughout the Bills schedule by no means am I saying I have a problem with how the Bills are winning football games but it is a problem that when you have quote-unquote guaranteed points, because when you're sitting at the one-yard line, you're going to score points no matter what. Unless, unless Stephen Hauschka hooks it completely into road G, you are going to have points no matter what. And it seems like that the Bills' offensive play calling gets a little bit complacent or far too overcomplicated when you're in a position to, have, to either have a two-possession lead or to extend yourself to a two-possession lead. Jeff, what are your thoughts on the Bills' play calling when it comes to extending their leads? Well, you really need to cash in when you get into the red zone, especially when your offense has trouble moving the ball down the field. You know, if, you, if your offense can go for four or 500 yards every game, I know that's, that's actually a really big number, <laughs> but um, if your offense can do 400 yards every game, then you're okay cashing in with field goals on some possessions. But when you only get three red zone trips a game, you have to cash in. You have to score touchdowns when you get down there. Field goals aren't good enough. I mean, look at the Redskins. If they would have cashed in on their three, they kick three field goals, if that's three touchdowns or even two touchdowns, it's a completely different game. You know, it's a one-possession game if, they, if two of those three possessions are touchdowns. So you need to find ways to punch it in, especially when you're on the goal line. Run a stupid little outplay with your tight end. You know, just run a sneak with your quarterback who's six foot five, 250 pounds. That might work just find ways to punch it in. And that, that drive that you talked about where they were up seven, nothing. That was, um, I was sitting in the end zone yesterday. I was right in front of me and they just, it was just pitiful. Their offensive line got no push. You need to get a push against a defensive line. That is not good. I don't even know a player on the Redskins defensive line. I couldn't know. I couldn't name you one. You need to get a push there. And I said, just keep running the ball, keep running the ball. They're going to get it eventually, but they couldn't. And at that point you got to get creative and, I don't think Brian Dable is very creative than some, based on what I've seen so far this year. So it, it worries me. I have a feeling that with Brian Dable, his problem is there's no real middle ground. It's always overcomplicated or it's way too conservative. I would reinforce this point with, okay, the Bills showed the jet sweep look to Isaiah McKenzie just about every single play in this game. Just about every single play, they showed that look of, Jet, of Isaiah McKenzie coming around behind Josh Allen, but they'd hand it off to the running back just about every play. They ran McKenzie once on that play, once, and come around the third and 
fourth quarter, the defense began to key in on, the, uh, on okay, they're going to show us this look, but he's just going to turn around and hand it to Gore, or he's going to hand it to Singletary. It wasn't that, it wasn't that difficult because you've been doing it for four quarters, and McKenzie didn't get the ball since the second, first or second series. It's not that hard for a professional defense to key in on it. Yes, the first handful of times, it got Devin Singletary open a lot of times. It got a lot of yards at that point. But there were a few times in that second half where they showed that look where I'm watching Isaiah McKenzie run, and there's so much green in front of him. This is before, this is before Allen even hands the ball off to the running back. But there's so much green in front of him. Just check into it. Just run it once. What's the worst-case scenario? Isaiah McKenzie... He averages almost 10 yards per touch. Almost 10 yards per touch. This dude, this dude hardly ever gets the ball. But when he gets the ball in his hands, he's getting just about 10 yards every touch. If you give him that jet sweep once and he gets 10 yards, that's a good play. What are you going to lose if you decide to go the non-conservative route? Because that's not a very typical play. That's not an, oh, we, we can run this every single play. It's not your eye formation. Just hand it to Frank Gore and run your head into the wall. It's a jet sweep, but it's a jet sweep that's worked in the past, and the defense that you were facing that day was keying in on it, and as a result, your running backs didn't have much of any room to run in the second half. And you hope if your offensive coordinator isn't going to pick up on that, that your quarterback will. Maybe your quarterback can check to that at the line. Obviously, Allen didn't. Um, I don't love the jet sweep as a play. I, I don't like the whole end-around idea. I don't really like it. But they were if they were showing that, th- then you have to – you know, why show it every play if you're not going to run it? Right. Like, you know? like defenses have had, to key, have had to key in on it because it's been a play that's, bro- that's broken defenses' backs. There's been a, a, a handful of times where it has not worked, but the handful of times that it has, it's been, in a, it's been a huge component of this offense, which is why I was griping so much about Isaiah McKenzie being inactive against the Eagles. But this, this, going back to the Eagle game, the Bills also had an opportunity to go up two possessions, and they fumbled that away. And then in this game, you had a chance to really just put your foot on the throat of this team, go up 14-0. And, I mean, I'm not saying that this team is going to be discouraged, but they're 1-7 down 14-0 and, and on the road. What do you think is going to happen at that point? The rally is on at that point. Yeah. You had an opportunity to extend your lead big time and pretty much end this game before it even started, and you didn't. And th- these are the concerning things that while you will get away with them against the Redskins, hell, you're, you're going to get away with them against the Browns this week even. Maybe the Broncos, maybe the Dolphins. But when it comes to playing legitimate teams come the, come the second half of the season, well, let's see. you got the Ravens, who just beat the Patriots. You've got the Patriots again. You've got, you've got to play the Steelers, who are now 500. You've got to, you, you have to play the, the Cowboys. You have a handful of good football teams that these kind of opportunities, you're not going to have many of them. And as a result, you must be opportunistic and make the most of them. because. Yes. I, I, ever since Matt Perino came on the show and he reminded me of the point that this offense has eight new starters on it, one of which the, one of the two returning starters is a second-year quarterback. That's a very fair point. And while there are going to be growing pains, you need to see progress. And while I've seen progress from Josh Allen, I'm not so sure I have from Diane Dabble. And if we're going to complain at all about, you know, things that we see in Bill's wins, if we're going to complain about wins – then it probably should be that they're beating these bad teams by, by, you know, they make these mistakes, but they're still winning. But when they play good teams, they're not going to be able to do that. 
And if we're, it gives, we get deeper into the season and start talking about possible playoffs, playoff run, then we can say, okay, playing mediocre against these bad teams isn't going to cut it when you get into the playoffs. So I think if we're going to complain about something in these wins, and that is what it should be, is bring up the point that when you play good teams, that's not going to cut it. Now, luckily, the Bills that don't play a good team for a while, and they play the 2-6 and six Brown next week, and they play the Dolphins, then they play the Broncos, right? Who are what three and five? The Bronco, I think the Broncos are before the Dolphins. The Broncos just beat the Browns yesterday. I'm unsure, but the next three opponents have a combined five wins this season. Yeah, you have you have three very easy games coming up. I mean, to wrap up our game recap, Jeff, who was your player of the game out of this game? Now I didn't have a I didn't have a good I didn't have a clear choice for this, but I'm gonna go with John Brown. He only had four catches. However, he's covered by Josh Norman a lot of the day. And one play that really stood out to me is on that last drive when the Bills scored their third touchdown to really ice the game. He had a big catch on what, maybe third and 12? It was third and 18. Third and 18, 18. right on the sideline, kept his feet in. Had, that was a huge catch, and that just really took all the wind out of the sails of you know the Redskins. I mean, it was a one-possession game at that time. It was 17-9. to nine. You know, Redskins get the ball back, and they go right down the field. They could tie the game. But he caught that ball, and after that, the Bills had no problem punching it in. So I think maybe even for that play alone and for, you know, his performance, he, he took up all that coverage. And Norman – I mean, Norman's their best player on defense and by a lot. So by John Brown drawing out that attention, it helped other guys. Like maybe Beasley get open for that touchdown. Um, I know the Bills didn't throw the ball a ton. But still, Brown with his four catches, I think he had, what, 72 receiving yards? Maybe yeah, he, had, he had 74, 72 or 74, somewhere around there. Yeah, it was 76 and the one for 25. So John Brown's my MVP because, you know, big play. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going to go with Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary, coming into this game, he only had 29 touches this year for 230 total yards, averaging 7.93 yards per touch. In this game alone, he had 140 scrimmage yards on 23 touches for six yards per touch. Devin Singletary is a dynamic player in this offense. He is – some people want to call him a change of pace back. He's far more than a change of pace back. This guy, he – the Bills only gave him the ball on limited occasions before this game. He practically doubled his touches in one performance. And it was the only performance that we have seen Devin Singletary get the ball consistently from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. And he made the most of his opportunities. We've been clamoring for Devin Singletary to get the ball after a game in which the Bills only ran the ball on the Eagles 12 times and they were going up against the 28th run defense, ranked run defense in the NFL. I was hoping that the Bills would run the ball because it'll help every, every facet of your offense. And as a result, we saw Josh Allen have a very efficient day, throwing for 160 yards and scoring two total touchdowns. But Devin Singletary really changed the outcome of this game, that electric screen catch, he had a good touchdown at the end of the game. He's a very good running back, and I hope to see more of the same this week as the Bills go to Cleveland to take on the 2-6 and six Cleveland Browns, who are 30th in the league in rush, against the run. This, this Cleveland team, they're very bad against the run, and they're just about ready to implode, man. They just took a loss to a team that had one win all season coming into this past week in the, in the Denver Broncos. And this, this is a team that had aspirations before the season. You look at what – the expectations were for some people. You, you acquire Odell Beckham. You already had Jarvis Landry. You, you had David Njoku for a time. Your quarterback just set the rookie record for touchdown passes in a season. Nick Chubb, I, Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the league currently. You look at the players and 
the expectations that came with having those players on the team and just how they have just fizzled away at two and six here midway just about midway through the season who would if you told me that the bills and browns game was going to be a matchup of six and two versus two and six i would have been scared if you told me that last august i would have been scared because i'd be lying if i said i would have expected the bills to be as the six and two team jeff what are your overall thoughts on the bills opponent this week you know this is honestly this is another one of those games that i have a bad feeling about like i did last week with the eagles Obviously, this Browns team isn't what a lot of people thought it was going to be going into the season, but they have shown signs of life. I mean, they scored 40 points on the Ravens, who we just saw beat the Patriots last week. So, they, so they've showed signs of life, and I'm worried about this one. You know, it's, it's another one of those games this year. We'll see what the Bills are made of. You know, can they win on the road against the Browns team that at 2-6 and six really needs to have a sense of urgency here if they're going to pick it up? Now, there's one thing. The Bills are good on the road this season. Their only two losses, ironically, have come at home. Mm-hmm. Their only two losses have come at home this year. And, and this Browns team, what's there else, what, what else is there to say about them? For lack of a better term, they're pissed off. But this Bills team, I mean, it's a matchup of the two, quarterback, two quarterbacks that were drafted in the, 28, in the 2018 NFL draft again. The Bills, uh, yeah, Josh Allen going up against Baker Mayfield. Now, while I don't think the best idea this week is to throw the ball, it's still going to be something that the media is going to key in. But I think you, in order to win this game, in order to have the best, in order to give your team the best chance to win this week, you're going to expect a game plan very similar to last week, where the Bills control this game from start to finish on the ground, on, on maybe 30 plus carries between Frank Gore and Devin Singletary again. Frank Gore looked very slow last week. It looked like his age had caught up to him. He had, he has over 100, he had over 100 carries in the first six games. He has been, he's been utilized a lot, and that's why you saw Devin Singletary get the ball so much. But this is a defense for the Cleveland Browns that allows 141 rushing yards per game. If you want to control this game and control the crowd in a hostile environment, you run the ball down this team's throat, and you don't give Baker Mayfield many opportunities with the football. What I'm really interested to see this week is the coaching war, the coaching strategy. A lot of people in Browns camp, Browns fans – say that Freddie Kitchens is not the answer. He doesn't know what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, obviously, the fact that they've been losing, you know, is a big factor behind people saying that. But Freddie Kitchens is really lacking as an NFL head coach or with his game plan. McDermott needs to just outcoach him. And by outcoaching the opposing team, that sets you up, that really sets you up for success a lot more than people would think. If they can outcoach the Browns coaching staff, then – I am fully confident in winning this game. Will they? I don't know. I think the Browns being two and six, like I said, is going to help them because they need to start winning games. They, you, they can't afford to lose two more games or else they're not going to make the playoffs. Obviously, that's a tall task, long road ahead, but I'm really interested to see how McDermott, Dabble, and the rest of them, Leslie Frazier, if they can outcoach this Browns staff because that's, that's a way to set, set yourself up to win. It's a good matchup. I mean, there's been, there have been games in the past where Sean McDermott, I wouldn't want to say out, was outcoached, but it appeared as so throughout the duration of a game. You go back mm-hmm. to these blowout wins, that the Bills, or the blowout losses, rather, the Bills have sustained since Sean McDermott was hired. I really have an, I feel like he has an opportunity to hand a blowout loss to this team, and on the road even. I would not be surprised at all by it. And there's really just four, four key factors to winning this game for the Bills, in my opinion. And I'm going to start with this one. Pressure Baker Mayfield along the interior. Baker Mayfield, 
I, I was doing some digging, and he's the fourth least hit quarterback in the NFL, but he's the 11th most sacked. What that tells me is after this team traded arguably the best guard in football, Kevin Zietler, to the, to the New York Giants, they struggle along the interior with guys like J.C. Treader and some guy with the last name Cush. They struggle along the interior, and this is going to be a game where I expect the Bills to exploit that weakness, especially against the pass. And I think you pressure Baker Mayfield along the interior, get him off his spot, force him into making mistakes, you're going to have you're going to have opportunities to get turnovers at that point. Yeah, I think Baker Mayfield's starting to get the reputation around the league that he doesn't do well under pressure. You know, I mean he he's great when he can when he has time to throw. Everyone's great when they have time to throw. But Baker really just hasn't been able to handle pressure this year. He hasn't been able, they haven't been picking up blitzes. He hasn't been very mobile in the pocket. He hasn't really been able to escape that well. I mean his his reputation coming out of college is he's a mobile quarterback. He hasn't really shown that. And I completely 100% agree with you that you have to bring pressure, blitz your safeties, blitz your linebackers, get to Baker, get him flustered, because when you have a secondary that is as good as, that is as, good as the Bills is, are, Bills are, Bills is, excuse me, you're going to get picks when you're playing against a guy like Baker Mayfield and you can put pressure on him. You're going to get interceptions. The Browns will turn to the running game, and why wouldn't they? Nick Chubb has been on a tear this season. He has on 964 scrimmage yards, six touchdowns. He's averaging 5.3 yards per touch. This Browns offensive line has opened up enough room to allow their running backs to average 5.2 yards per carry, which is good enough to be the second best mark in the league. And this is the main area of concern that I have for this Bills defense. That is the main area of concern that I have for the Bills defense. And the reason being that these last three games, they have been getting gashed along the interior. That includes the 100-yard performance in the first half by Adrian Peterson. Say what you will about the solid performance in the second half by the Bills' run defense, but at that point, the Redskins were playing from behind. After the long drive that the Bills had to start the second half, they were playing from behind. They needed to pass the ball. They couldn't afford to run the ball very much longer because the game was going quickly as the Bills were running the ball a lot themselves. That, I think that second half has much credit due to the fact that it was going to be a passing second half for the Redskins at that point. And I also think it's credit due to the fact that Vincent Taylor had a lot more snaps in the second half of that football game than Star Latulule. And I, I don't need to go on another rant about how bad Star Latulule is, but I will say this, that when Star Latulule is getting pushed into the lap of Tremaine Edmonds, in the lap of Matt Milano, that's a problem. That's a problem. And that's why Adrian Peterson had 100 yards in the first half. And it's a why the Eagles ran all over the Bills. And it's why Mark Walton had the success that he had against the Bills that he had no business having, might I mind you. Starla Tule has been a problem. And you say he's a gap plugger. Well, he's not plugging anything except himself and, his, and Tremaine Edmonds' lap. And it's preventing people from making plays. And he is doing quite opposite of what his job, what his job title is. I, I understand he's not going to set – he's not going to stuff stats. I understand he's not going to be a box score guy. There's, there's plenty of people out there. Anytime you get into this discussion – on Twitter, on Facebook, there's a lot of people that want to be apologists and lecture you on what a one technique defensive tackle is in a four, three defense. I know I personally, I don't know, Jeff, I'm sure you know what a one technique defensive tackle. I know. I I'm pretty sure you know what their job is. Mm -hmm. I know. I know what the job of a one technique defensive tackle is. I played one technique defensive tackle. I've coached one tech, one technique defensive tackles. I know what their job is. And quite frankly, Starla Tule is pretty damn bad at his job. And he has been for right around this time of year, 
the last two seasons. And there's no excuse for it at this point. You pay this man Pro Bowl money. He has never made a Pro Bowl. And the team that drafted him in the first round didn't re-sign him for a reason. And now you're starting to see why. Because he's getting pushed three and a half yards off the ball just about every play to the point where the player that you elevated from your practice squad this past week had a far better game than him in the run defense. And they need to get over the fact that Latula is making so much money. You know, I'm sure that's a reason why they're giving him snaps. Figure we're paying him a ton of money. We got to give him snaps. You know, he'll come around eventually. Get over that. Play your best players. Right now, he's not the best player that you can have in that position. And you need to you need to not throw out the fact that you're paying him good money. Throw out the fact that he's done it before in the league and play who's giving you the best results this season. Let's not throw out the fact that it's the worst signing this regime has made. And a lot of people want to say, oh, well, when a new coach – he gets his new coaching job. You want to surround him with people that he's familiar with. Well, okay. The familiarity doesn't cost $10.5 million per season. That, it, it, it's so expensive. He is the highest paid player on this team. And he's quite frankly, I, underwhelming is just an understatement in my mind. He's, not, he's no longer underwhelming. There were so many plays against the Redskins in that first half where I saw him just getting mauled mauled and to his back to the running back at times just because he's just getting blown off of his gap blown out of his assignment and people want to make excuses oh he's not going to make the tackle well who the hell is he's getting blocked into the guys that are supposed to make the tackle he's not doing his job at that point it is there's no excuse for Starla Tula anymore I'm sick and tired of people making excuses for this bum and I'm going to call him what he is because he's a bum if you're if a guy like Vincent Taylor, who's probably not even making a million dollars per season, comes onto that field and he's doing just as, if not a better job than you, then what the hell is your role at that point? And why are you making $10.5 million? And the Bills' run defense has been a problem the last few weeks. We've talked about that. And you can point fingers at Star Latule, and I think that's very fair to do is to point your finger at him and blame him for part of that problem. And I'd like to see the effect that it has if you give some other guys some snaps. I don't know who it's going to be, whether you have Phillips in there more, Phillips and Oliver on the inside. But if, if you limit Latula's snaps, I, I'm interested to see how your run defense changes and how they perform when he's not in there as opposed to when he is. I can't forget this, but per Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN, the Bills... He's a stud, by the way. He is a stud. He is a great reporter. The Bills had a visit with... Former Chargers first-round pick and defensive tackle Corey Leisure today. And if you ask me, you make that move. Because that would – I think that substantially improves your defensive line. I don't care what you pay him, honestly. The Bills have $27 million in cap room. I don't care what you pay him. I don't think he's going to garner a, a, a big contract by any means. But are the Bills going to win now? Are they going to get – this run defense hasn't been able to stop a nosebleed in six of the last eight quarters of football. Are you going to solve this problem now, or are you going to be complacent and not allow it and not have a solution to it? I think Corey Legion would be a very welcomed addition. And if he took, if he ate into Starla snaps and inevitably made him expendable, I'm more than happy with that move. And I wouldn't mind taking a chance on it. You know, this is that, that's a scenario where I wouldn't why I wouldn't mind taking a chance and giving a player some money to fix um, a problem that you might they, we've seen them have all year. You know, take that chance if it works out. Great. You just solved one of the few problems you've had so far this year on a six and two team. If it doesn't work out, I don't know. You just lost some money. Who cares? 
Now we spent a little bit of time on the run defense, but it's a big, it's a big part of this game. There, if they feel they are mismatched along the interior, as far as pass blocking is concerned, then they're going to run the ball. And that's where the bill's weakness has been for damn near a month now. And I, I would not be surprised if they tried to exploit it, but also feeding into the passing defense, Trey white. I had imagined he is going to be traveling this week and he is going to be following Odell Beckham jr. Wherever he goes. This is probably one of the best receivers that Trey Davis White has faced in now his two-and-a-half-year career. And Odell Beckham Jr., he's been no slouch this year. He has 67 targets, 39 catches, 579 yards, and one touchdown. But Trey White has been respectful in his own right. He's only allowed 48.7% completion percentage when targeted, 239 yards, no touchdowns, and a 36.2 passer rating when targeted. Now, Odell Beckham Jr., when he is targeted, he has a quarterbacks have a 66.8 passer rating. This is going to be a key matchup. If you take away Odell Beckham Jr. from Baker Mayfield and force him to throw at Jarvis Landry, who I think will be in the slot and Teron Johnson will be matched up with a lot. I think you're putting your defense in a favorable position. And I don't think, I don't think Jarvis Landry is going to get open very quickly. I think Teron Johnson is going to be very, he's going to be blanketed all over him this whole game. And you got to give these defensive lines some time to get free along the interior and get back to the quarterback. I don't think that's a bad matchup at all for Trey White. I think Trey White's proven himself in the league in his short time here. And I have confidence in him to shut down a receiver like Odell Beckham. I don't care what the name is. I don't care what Beckham's done in the past. I have confidence that Trey White can do enough to limit Beckham's production when he's got a quarterback like Baker Mayfield throwing to him. I think he's going to the Pro Bowl this year, man. I do. I think, I think Trey White's going to make his first Pro Bowl this season. After he had sacked last week, he's starting to get a lot of turnovers this season. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a turnover this week. Yeah. Baker Mayfield tends to be aggressive with the football, and I would not be surprised if he tried to force it into his star receiver and Trey White was blanketed all over him and, and a turnover was the result. I would not be surprised by that at all. Mm-hmm. So, so do we want to pick the game? Yeah, Jeff, go, go ahead and make your prediction first. So I haven't been wrong yet this year. I am, what, 8-0? and Bills played eight games. And we'll see if that continues. I'm going to pick the Browns. Like I said, it's a game where I have a bad feeling about it. I just have a bad feeling. I just feel like this is a game that the Bills lose. I'm not trying to be negative. I don't want to be pessimistic about the outlook for the rest of the year. I just feel like this is a game they lose. You know, it's, you know they go on the road against a team – that has been struggling, but needs to win. And it looks like on paper, a, Bills, a game the Bills should win, but every game looks like that. And they're going to lose some. They're not going to be 13-3. and three. So I'm going to pick the Browns 28-24. to 24. I think the Bills offense will get some traction other than this year, but I just think the Browns, with their big-name offense, is going to do enough to win the game. I think it's going to be close right down to the wire. Maybe the Browns have a scoring drive at the end. Maybe Josh Allen fumbles the ball for the 10th time this year in the fourth quarter, something along those lines. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to pick the Browns. See, we, Jeff and I don't really differ in opinions very, very much as far as predictions are concerned. This is only the second time we're going to disagree. With that being said, I am picking the Bills. And I'm picking the Bills. Call it handedly, if you will. I have the Bills winning 27-17 to 17 and having a very convincing win on the road. Now, Jeff, he is, he's 8-0 picking Bills games this year. Credit to him. I'm 7-1. I picked the Bills to beat the Eagles, and I was sorely proved wrong. But I like how we match up against the Browns. They do have talent. They have a very good secondary, but they don't have a good offensive line. I don't feel this offensive line is good enough 
to be able to run on the Bills' defense like Nick Chubb has run on most teams that he has played this year. I have a feeling we're going to contain Nick Chubb. I have a feeling we're going to see a big day from Jordan Phillips, a big day from Shaq Lawson, and another big day from the Bills' rookie running back, Devin Singletary. And I think that is the big that, – that, that is the key factor in this game is to get Devin Singletary the ball often. Get it to him in the pass game. Get it to him in the running game. Get this kid another 20-plus 20 touch, 20 touch game because he is electric. He is dynamic with the ball in his hands. He's arguably the most dynamic skill position player that the Bills have on their offense. And the, it, he was grossly underutilized the first eight weeks of the season. Grossly underutilized. And last week, we saw what he can do with a true workload. You're going to be facing an even worse run defense this week than you did against the Redskins. Exploit it. Take advantage of the opportunity you have in front of you. I understand people want to see Josh Allen throw the ball for 450 yards. But that's not what it's about. It's about winning football games. And in order to win this football game, I think the Bills need to control this one on the ground, keep the crowd silent, control it from the first quarter to the last, and I think they win – by 10 points, they take the win 27 to 17, and they go seven and two as they get ready to face the Denver Broncos. Well, I hope you're right, and I hope I'm wrong, but I just feel like the Browns are due for a win, especially at home. I feel like the Bills are due for a loss for whatever that's worth, for whatever quote unquote due is worth. It's a very fair prediction. It is 110% a fair prediction. But here at the conclusion of the show, Jeff, please tell the people where they can find you. Find me on Twitter, Real J U V N O R E A L J U V E I N O. Don't forget to follow the Cold Front Report on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Cold Front Report for Twitter, at Cold Front Report underscore Bills News on Instagram. Like us on Facebook. That is Cold Front Report colon Buffalo Bills News. And you can find me on Twitter as well, at CFR Clayton. Find me on Instagram as well, the same handle, at CFR Clayton. That's at CFR C L A Y T O N. And thank you all for tuning in. And this has been the Overtime Podcast presented by The Cold Cold.